Welcome to the Line Break Podcast. My name is Chris Corlew, and with me as always is my co-host, Bob Zakora. We're here. We're here. We're here. We're back. We uh, are back later than we said we'd be back, but, you know, life happens sometimes. Um, it's not like we get paid for this, so. <laughs> uh, every once in a while, you just need an uh, extended break. Uh, right. You know, saying you'll start again after the holidays could mean after President's Day. Right. Because um. <laughs> President's Day is a holiday. <laughs> um, One that this we week, really love celebrating. Yeah, yeah. We totally just, you know, we get the whole family together. We make a big, uh, make a big meal, you know, and just we uh, uh, wrestle people in the backyard like Abe Lincoln used to do. Without our shirts on, you know, it's a real, real celebration of Presence Day. We chopped down a cherry tree. It's great stuff. You know. So we're still uh, hashing out the title of this episode, but the tentative topic today is uh, poets you've been meaning to read. And that I feel like with the community of poetry can take on a lot of meanings. Um, sometimes it's just like, you know, like an ancient poet or a, or a classical poet that you just haven't gotten around to yet. And sometimes I found in the age of Twitter and also me being a parent and having less time to read, it sometimes means making a connection with someone online and then realizing like six months later, oh, wait, I haven't gotten around to their work yet. <laughs> uh, and so, you know, we just wanted to... Uh, Dive into some folks that, uh, you know, had maybe been on the shelf for a little while and um, just hadn't gotten to yet. Bob, I have kind of a fun story for mine that I don't want to spoil quite up top. But, um, yeah, how do you feel about poets that you have been meaning to read? As you were saying that, I was thinking really something that I feel like we have talked about plenty of times. But there's that maddening but also like essential part of literature for lack of a better word uh you you know you you actually just can't read everything yeah Um, there's just not enough hours in the day and not enough brain power right and you're yeah and the weird like uh i certainly felt it as an undergrad English major of like people expecting you to have like red stuff just because you're an English major. Um, right. and the way those, those, those two things do not compute, you know, <laughs> I can't have read the stuff that you think I should have read while there's literally an endless amount of things to read. So like you said, things end up uh, on the shelf sometimes. Um, and it actually connects with mine people. <laughs> when I was a bookseller at a used bookstore, people expected me to just know books. And I was right. Like, I haven't read Tom Clancy. I just haven't. I'm sorry. Like, I can't recommend you anything that's similar to Tom Clancy. I can show you the shelf that it's on. <laughs> I just haven't read it. <laughs> you know? What's great about that is because it's a used bookstore, it's like, well, we do have a lot of Tom Clancy. We like, have tons of Tom Clancy. Like, people are so getting much rid Tom of those Clancy, books. A lot of it's in the recycling bin. If you don't want to pay money, go around the back <laughs> And dig through the recycling bin. Tom Clancy's? We recycled, man. uh, It was a weird, it was a shocking thing to work at a used bookstore because you, um, there are simply just too many books for one place Hmm. to stock. Um, Right. And I, you know, I learned that like the the library, um, I guess, you know, I don't know the ins and outs, but I think it may be like a public city government funding issue or whatever. But libraries will just, like, dump books. Um, right. Because recycling is expensive. You have to pay for recycling. Mm-hmm. So we actually, you know, the store that I worked at paid for recycling. And, yeah, there were there was a, a bin, a whole dumpster's worth of books every week that I recycled because it just they just couldn't be sold and our shelves couldn't handle it. Um, <laughs> there was a small place in uh, in Evanston, Illinois, you know, and that's that's just the nature of the business, like, there's a lot of trash that gets printed up, you know, like, sure. For instance, endless Tom Clancy books, <laughs> <laughs> but as a, as a bibliophile, as a lover of physical media, as a, um, you know, as a book lover, 
it, man, oh man, it felt weird to just like dump book. There are a lot of books I, uh, quote unquote rescued from the recycling and by which I mean <laughs> took home <laughs> without paying for them. <laughs> I believe you've re- revealed this on the podcast before. <laughs> okay. But I have. Okay. okay. Um, lots um, of poetry I magazines mean, actually, cause we couldn't charge okay. for those cause they were, right. you know, like little 10 page, 20 page magazines. And it's just like, sure. well, no one's buying these. If it stays on the shelf for a week, I'm taking it home. It's free anyway. You know? uh, but a used book, I, I have been to many used bookstores that are trying so hard to sell a copy of Poetry Magazine for like a dollar or two. And just like, they, they're not moving. Yeah, you know? no, they're, no they're one's, not going. No one's. Because um, I mean, anyone interested in Poetry Magazine knows they can go pick it up for free somewhere. <laughs> I think it's. I'm really fascinated or overthinking the the way that I am someone who, you know, treasures books, buys books, keeps them, tries to keep them as long as I can, will not give them away until I'm moving somewhere. And I'm like, I actually can't fill up all these boxes. Um, sure. And I, I'm, I've resigned myself to that trait. It's fine. I think it's, <laughs> it's a, a positive a, trait. <laughs> it's the one thing I get to hoard, you know? Yeah. Um, and I'm not even that bad. Um, I've seen some other folks. <laughs> uh, no fingers being pointed. But um, it is funny, especially to think of this, like, Tom Clancy example of these things that are just, like, printed and printed and printed. And, like, it's incredible that they're sold um, at such a rate. Like, good good on him and good on, you know, if people are into that, great. I'm all on board. Um, yeah. But, it you know, it does this image of, like, books being dumped and books needing to be recycled. And immediately my thought is like, I don't know, do those ever actually get recycled? If you just throw them in a recycling bin, right. I'm skeptical. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah. It just like puts this like kind of tainted grossness of how much we produce of literally everything. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. I'm, I mean, oh, gone rabbit hole, which was yeah. not the plan for today. <laughs> <laughs> well, especially cause you and I are lovers of small presses and read a lot mm-hmm. of chat books, which are, designed you know not necessarily to be long lasting but are designed to support people who are doing the thing right. and sometimes be a beautiful little art object um right but yeah i guess uh yeah it makes you think a little bit about uh where um you know where it eventually goes and hopefully that is recycling or hopefully <laughs> it just is preserved hopefully all my friends are just in museums forever until the heat death <laughs> of the universe. But, you know. <laughs> uh, yeah, wow. Yeah. Just this image of shelves literally that can't hold the Tom Clancy selection anymore. We're just really going into Tom Clancy's <laughs> This is how we you know switch, we're rusty. We can switch over to Danielle Steele if you want. <laughs> we can switch over to Sanjay Gupta. You know how many Sanjay Gupta books I recycled? Evanston loves Sanjay Gupta. It's a rich white suburb of Chicago. They love Sanjay Gupta. <laughs> oh my goodness. I think maybe we could transition not to any of that. We can transition to some poems that we've been That's meaning a good to pivot. read. <laughs> <laughs> All right, go and read a poem. <laughs> uh, I literally I saw I, I saw a tweet just an hour ago or so that was uh just straight up, what are the good poetry podcasts? And I was like, I don't know if we're good. <laughs> we are a poetry podcast. We're not consistent, <laughs> but we exist. <laughs> uh, that might be enough. All right. I'm going to read this poem for you. Uh, I really went all over the place trying to choose one this week. I, I knew I wanted to read this poet, Larry Levis. Um, I'll talk about why in a second, but let's just read this poem. It's called Rhododendrons. Which Thanks for pronouncing like, that, my, by the way. It came out of my mouth, <laughs> and I was like, shoot, now I, now I don't feel confident. No, it's definitely Rhododendrons. All right. <sighs> Winter has moved off somewhere, writing its journals in ice. But I am still afraid to move, afraid to speak. As if I lived in a house wallpapered with the cries of birds I cannot identify. Beneath the trees, a young couple sits talking about the afterlife, where no one, I think, is whittling toys for the stillborn. I laugh, but I don't know. Maybe the whole world is absent-minded or floating. 
Maybe the new lovers undress without wondering how the snow grows over the Andes, or how a horse cannot remember those frozen in the sleigh behind it. But keep running until the lines tangle, while the dead sit coolly beneath their pet stars. As I write this, some blown rhododendrons are nodding in the first breezes. I want to resemble them and remember nothing, the way a photograph of an excavation cannot remember the sun. The wind rises or stops, and it means nothing. I want to be circular, a pond or a column of smoke revolving slowly its ashes. I want to turn back and go up to myself at age 20 and press $5 into his hand so he can sleep. While he stands trembling on a street in Fresno, suddenly one among many in the crowd that strolls down Fulton Street, among the stores that are closing, and is never heard of again. Yeah, that's a poem. It takes some turns, man. It's a it's a longer poem than you usually read, and I feel like it's a, weirdly a cross-section of Bob Core and Chris Core. <laughs> fully, fully agreed. That did not make it into my notes, but uh, the more I read um, this book of his selected poems, the more I go like, man, Chris would be into some of this shit. He's a California guy, so there's some Los Angeles poems, and we know you fetishize Los Angeles. Love Los Angeles thing. <laughs> Haven't seen Licorice Pizza yet, but boy, is it on my list. <laughs> um, there's a. It feels like there's a lot of. I wouldn't necessarily say like dark bars, but there's a, there's like a dark seedy places that he goes sometimes. You know that feels pretty essential to. Um, what he's doing here that feels very Chris core to me. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I, as I said, so I guess we'll get into it, but I'm enjoying it. I'm enjoying it. You need to ask me the questions before I can get into it. Yeah. Yeah. Let's get, let's get into it. Let's, uh, what's, uh, what's the, uh, what's the, uh, what's the why for this poem? Why this poem? Um, so I, over the summer was talking to a friend of mine, uh, the poet, Stephanie Roberts. I probably mentioned her on here before. I feel like um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, she's she's really wonderful people. Um, and she mentioned that she was reading Larry Levis's selected poems and it was making her think of me and making her think of my work. And um, she's someone who's just been so supportive of my work. I, I think she has like a good eye for what I do and what I'm trying to do, um, which is always, it's, you know, it's so sick to be seen. Um, and I was like, God yeah, damn it, yeah. you're, the, like, you're like the third person to recommend this to me. My... I'm just going to list off some poet friends here. <laughs> uh, I don't, I don't know if that's point. obnoxious. <laughs> I don't know if it's obnoxious to a theoretical listener. I mean, the, the, no one's like a famous poet. Like, I'm not, you know, na- I'm not truly hey, name dropping. As, just... uh, as, as uh, JMW said, uh, being famous in the world of poetry is like being famous in the world of underwater basket weaving. Name drop <laughs> away. Call people out. Like, Just want to say that I like my friends. Yeah, (laughs) just want to say that you like your friends. That's good. Um, The second one uh, is the poet Zach Bond, who I did my MFA with. um, And he got me uh, a collection of Levis's as a graduation gift. It was a really sweet gesture. Um, And again, similarly talked about how it made made him think of my work. Um, Although really, I think I can see Zach's work and Levis's work. I don't know, a lot of connections going on, making me feel like a tender poet right now. I love it. Sure, Um, sure. And I think those I think were. It's very sweet that after you finish two years or three years of uh, just doing nothing but reading and writing, someone gets you as a graduation gift a book. <laughs> he worked at a bookstore. Give me a break. <laughs> no, no, you I think it's a great gift. I know just, you do. It's just funny. I know you do. <laughs> um, not to do some more bragging, but I also like I did win this prize uh, at. Oh, you won a prize. For my class, I won this little prize, uh-huh. um, and the and as you know, it was a graduation thing too. And the gift was also books. Um, so <laughs> <laughs> it was graduating. People were like you know, what? you don't read enough. You need to read more. Not cash. Not a steak dinner. Just books. Like just books. Uh, fa- faculty took us out for dinner. That was sweet. Uh, yeah. But yeah. Um, last one. Finally, um, the poet and uh, just genuine. Good writer, good dude, good human being, um, and the one that I know least well, um, but uh, who, having only known me from publishing his work and from Twitter, uh, invited me out for a beer when I was in New York years ago, uh, the poet Devin Kelly. 
Um, I think he might say Larry Levis is his favorite poet. Definitely one of his favorites. Um, I think that name has and, come across my Twitter feed, but I don't know Devin. But yeah, he's great. He's great. Yeah. He's so wonderful. Yeah, absolute sweetheart. Awesome. Good poet. Good writer. Um, nice. Someone needs to publish his essay collection already. It seems absurd that it hasn't happened. Um, but more, so much context and preface here. I love context. Um, hey, I'm just we're writers. Slinging, context is important. Slinging today. I was going to choose another poem from the from the select book of selected poems. And then as I was looking for it online to send to you, I realized that uh, Devin in his newsletter, Ordinary Plots, wrote about this other poem called the In the City of Light. And so I just oh, like, I totally read that heard of Ordinary Plots. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Keep going. Um, yeah. So I, I read his reflection on it and I was like, there's absolutely nothing I could say that would top this. So uh, again, theoretical reason, theoretical listener, it's called Ordinary Plots. It's a... Uh, pretty regular newsletter from Devin where he just writes about a poem and he wrote about a Levis poem and it fucking rules. It's really remarkable stuff. All of that is to say, that's why I chose this poem. <laughs> Wait, no, I think I have more to say. <laughs> no, nope, I'm going to leave it. I'm going to leave it. I'm going to leave it there. I'm going to say more it after another question. That's that all is, why I chose this poem. <laughs> those are a lot of good reasons to choose this poem. I mean, I think like the motivating factor I've been percolating on this topic for a while and I'm a little embarrassed of how many friends I have whose work I'm just not totally familiar with. You know, right. I don't have the cash to buy everybody's book, and I don't have the time being a parent to read every journal all the time. So I feel right. like I, I, I really value Twitter because it's like, oh, I, I get to meet, meet quote unquote, uh, right. new poets and like and sort of become familiar with the, their projects and then like add it to my list. But then mm-hmm. that also means the list is just ever growing, which is part of right. why I wanted to choose this topic. I mean, we could maybe do another version of this topic where it's like, For sure. you know, like a like a classical dead poet that we've been meaning to read or whatever. But uh, um, no, I think I think your your preface and your context is really good because yeah, it's it's good to support your friend's work, but there's just a lot of work out there, and you know, there's a lot of stuff, and um, you want to be generous and you want to. Um, uh, you want to be supportive. I think that's a great trait of the poetry community. So I think you uh, you nailed what I wanted to do with this topic. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah. but let's uh, let's let's dive a little bit into the poem, and um, let's talk about what's the move. What what is the move, Robert? All right. So I think I have two things that I want to talk about. Sure. Um, and the the first I'm going to call it kind of like a, the sense of movement. You 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 did, you actually mentioned this right away, the way that this kind of poem, uh, it goes some some very different places, I think some yeah. unexpected places, um, and in a, in a really exciting way, in a great poem way. Um, I think when I first said that word movement, the first thing I thought of was people talking about poem logic, which we've talked about many a time here. Um, yeah, yeah. But I like, I like the way this one movement means um, sp- like moving through space and time, which I guess like that is part of the poem logic thing. But I think in a very like concrete way, this poem is jumping around, I don't know, in the temporal and the geographical in a really fucking fascinating way. Sure. Yeah. You know, it starts off present tense. Winter has moved off somewhere writing its journals in ice, but I'm afraid to move. So this speaker is indoors end of winter not totally doing identify stuff. with it being winter and me being afraid to move. <laughs> I've been under not one but two throw blankets on my couch for the last like four weeks. <laughs> right, right. And then he is watching this young couple uh, that sits talking about the afterlife, and he spends a couple stanzas thinking about this couple. I'm going to return to that because that probably is my favorite part of the poem. And then comes back present tense as I write this and he watches the rhododendrons nodding. So he's watching nature. He's watching the trees. And that leads into the end of the poem. And there's a little pastoral move of maybe the lovers are having sex under the trees kind of thing. We'll get there. Okay, we'll get there. All right. We're not going to miss this. We're not going to miss sex on this poem. (laughs) On this this podcast. We are returning to the lovers. Um And this inward movement, I want to be circular. Um, And then finally, I want to turn back and go up to myself at age 20. 
And I, I think, yeah, that there's a really unexpected, uh, not hard to follow, but like, you know, as I just lay out those things, it doesn't seem like they're that huge of a jumps, but I know that the jumps are there and I know I couldn't explain to you why he jumped from thought to thought. Um, and yeah, love it. Wild, wild, wild. Um, he yeah. seems to do this kind of consistently. It seems to be one of his like trademarks. You're going to say something. No, I mean, I don't want to cut you off. Uh, I was running out of things to say. Oh, it's just, um, uh, yeah, it does like, man, I don't want to put value judgments on it, but it does like the the perfect poem thing of like, where it's like, you know, you shouldn't have been able to make that leap, but you did, and it rules. Right, um, right. That kind of thing. Um, especially the, the turn towards Fresno at the end. Um, yeah. I believe Fresno is uh, North, Northern California. So not you wouldn't really call it Northern California. It's north of LA, uh, Central Valley. Oh, it's Central Valley. Okay, my bad. Yeah, I was yeah. just. I, I think I was maybe in my head putting it up near, uh, like San Fran, Sacramento, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. reason. But um, but yeah, just like he's talking about like shivering on the uh, street or trembling mm. on the street. Rather, trembling is the word he uses. Um, right. Uh, at age twenty, which you know doesn't matter the climate. We've all been shivering on the street at age 20 somewhere. <laughs> uh, and he's, you know, thinking about it with in, in winter and with this young couple and, you know, thinking about a past life while watching a young couple and being cold and stuff. Right. Um, it all just, it all adds up, but in the way that a really great poem, or at least the type of poem I really like, doesn't quite make, sense on first pass i've read this three or four times and i still don't right like have a total handle on it um yeah but i i know i want to spend more time with it that kind of thing and that, right. that to me is a perfect poem you know um, i'm gonna give you my theory on that in a second okay but before that we'll do the deep dive let's the, do it the, like they're really thinking about the text so kind of towards the middle uh we we establish it's winter we establish he hasn't left the house um, and we get to this couple that you wanted to talk about. Um, I'm going to read it again. It's, it's, it's so much here. Beneath the trees, a young couple sits talking about the afterlife, where no one, I think, is whittling toys for the stillborn. Which, to me, like, threw me off as a line. I don't, it, like, almost it's feels jokey there. It's a fucking line, man. It's, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> God damn it. Like, <laughs> no one in the um, afterlife is whittling toys for the stillborn? What the fuck? <laughs> Um, I laugh, but I don't know. Maybe the whole world is absent-minded or floating. And I, the, the line break is important there because we get that, just that line. Maybe the whole world is absent-minded, which is that. Yeah. It, it feels floating. like that's, <laughs> but right. it feels like one of those like two big things to say that shouldn't work in the poem. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I fucking love it. I'm, I'm there with him. Yeah. 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 Maybe the new levers undress, as you said. But they might be. We don't know. Just a maybe. It's a possibility. It's a and that's a you know we talked about it in the pastoral thing. It's a it's a um, it's a trope for pastoral poems for like people like people have sex outside in English literature way more often than I would be more I would be comfortable with, which is to say more than once. Like <laughs> I don't think. <laughs> Like, who is comfortable having sex outside, outside of Christopher Marlowe and William Shakespeare? Like, <laughs> like it's just, it's a, it's a private act that you do with doors closed. <laughs> and, and, and the twist here is maybe the lovers undress, maybe, maybe, we don't know, but maybe, without wondering how the snow grows over the Andes. Now, having sex outside... I'm not doing it in the Andes, man. Like, it's cold there. <laughs> well, now we know a little about that, about your hang-ups. <laughs> but if we keep going with them. If I'm we a keep very going, private person. <laughs> maybe the new lovers undress without wondering how the snow grows over the Andes. Maybe they're not. You know, they're so absent-minded. They don't even think about the snow over the Andes. Right. Or 
how a horse cannot remember those frozen in the sleigh behind it, but keeps running until the lions tangle, while the dead sit coolly beneath their pet stars. Horses do have notoriously bad memories, and, you know, once but, once you're dead in the snow, you're you're under the under those stars. The the leap here from <laughs> these possible lovers to this image of the horses carrying some dead dudes around who have frozen in the snow, and the horses don't even think about it until their lines get tangled, and then oh shit! That is that is Russian literature level. That is like. <laughs> just like... And this incredible line, while the dead sit coolly beneath their, it's so perfect, their pet stars. Yeah, coolly because it's fucking snowing outside. And also, yeah, their pet stars. They've just picked the constellations out that they want to sit under forever. Uh, I just like, it's so cannot, good. cannot. It's so incredible. I'm so happy about it. It's, uh, it's an achievement. I stopped in my tracks there. I think it's so damn, like, whew. And then he shifts immediately into uh, the flowers that I still can't pronounce, um, <laughs> which I was just looking up. <laughs> Shout out to a podcast listener um, and 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 dear dear friend since I was six years old, Devin McDougal, who once tweeted <laughs> that um, whenever a writer mentions a specific plant. In the poem, uh-huh. he just zooms out, zones out, and pictures a tree, like or, or a flower or whatever. It's like, well, right. it's probably this, whatever, you know. Because <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Um, and uh, a um, a uh, quarantine thing of Mao's for a long time was uh, uh, cultivating plants, and now we have a bunch of house plants, and it rules. But she's nice. just like, my ex plant isn't doing well, and I'm just like, which one is that? Two years later, right. you know, right. like I, I don't know plants, but so these, uh, these flowers, they seem to grow. I'm doing this in real time in temperate <laughs> and subtemperate regions. Okay. So it seems like they like warm weather, but like can maybe survive. Doesn't sound like snow's a great environment to them. Just based off cursory 10 second research. Um, <laughs> but but they're the title of the poem. They're, they're nodding there. in the first breezes, man. They're nodding in the first breezes. I guess yeah. maybe subtemperate means they can thrive in snow. I should really should have done more research, but you know. I think I think you're too much in the snow. I don't. I, you know, I think I think I think you're think you're picturing a a heavier winter than he is. I'm sorry, Chicago sucks so much in February. I don't think he was in Chicago writing this. <laughs> thanks, thanks for the brief therapy session. <laughs> <laughs> the other thing I wanted to point out here for moves that I, I think you would have some interesting thoughts on was he he like talks about writing here as I write this. Um, I realized after I wrote my notes that it's not as intense in this poem, but he does have a habit, at least among these selected poems of like talking about the writing act and talking about the poem. Mm -hmm. And I think he pulls it off, but I definitely have a bias against that. It reminds me, I guess, of my very amateur stuff. Um, You know, and I I think, I think it it makes sense to me as an instinct of a young writer, because you're excited about writing and you want to like, I don't know, like that feels like a, a way to engage with it is to talk about it and to make it a thing that's part of the thing, if that makes any sense. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, um, a huge pet peeve of mine, and it doesn't come up in poetry for mm-hmm. me as often, but it definitely comes up in uh, movies and literature. I mm-hmm. have an absolute pet peeve. M- movies and fiction, I mean, literature. Poetry's literature. Jesus. Thank you. Um, <laughs> Christ, we run a poetry podcast. <laughs> um, uh, movies and fiction, when there's a writer character, oh. I always assume it's a stand-in for the writer of the movie, and I immediately get right. annoyed. Like, so annoyed <laughs> I can't enjoy whatever's happening. Yeah. Um, right. I feel like that's, like, a hallmark of, like, you know, like, I mean, Sex and the City did it, and, like, I think Sex and the City pulled it off, 
but like mm-hmm. it still wasn't like my favorite trope. Um, I think Lifetime movies do this a lot, and like Hallmark movies and stuff, where it's like the, the <laughs> well, writer well, you're in the big some city, pretty low places. <laughs> yeah, but like, but then like, yeah, but like, um, Limitless with Bradley Cooper and Robert De Niro. Um, I'm still not impressed. <laughs> But he like he like found this magic. <laughs> he found this magic pill that like made him finish his novel, and it's just like, all right, man, just what? Hey, screenwriter, just go to therapy, sit down and do the work. Like, <laughs> I don't want to hear about your trials and tribulations. I got my own trials and tribulations as a writer. <laughs> oh my god! Um, so yeah, I do feel like it cheapens it, but like for whatever reason, in poetry, it doesn't bother bother me as much. Um, maybe because poets are a little bit more careful and less prone to using themselves as stand-ins. You know, there's there's always the, uh, the duck that the speaker of the poem is not the poet. Um, but, uh, um, yeah, it didn't bother me here. Maybe I'm too steeped in Frank O'Hara who, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, loves talking about the fact that he was writing poems and. Right. Right, he's he's Saint Francis on this podcast. I mean, he, he yeah, he breaks all the rules. He can get away with whatever he wants. Yeah. You know, if his uh, poem is just a jar of mayonnaise. I'd still be into it. Right, right, <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, I don't know. It didn't bother me much there, but it is interesting to hear you say that as a poet, because as a as a fiction writer, I definitely notice it in fiction. Mm, um, okay, where I'm just like, if you have a character who's a writer, like. Come on, man. Do a do a second draft. God damn it. Like, <laughs> uh, fair enough. I mean, I'm just when I think of fiction, I'm just ready for there not to be any fiction about college professors ever again. Um, oh God, but... yes. Oh man, I swore that I read uh, I, I read two Lori Moore books, and then after that, I was like, nope, no more. <laughs> and two two Lori Moore on top of a John Updike, and I was like, I'm never reading an academic. <laughs> Oh my god. We're drifting. I think you need to ask me about uh something. Oh, I need to ask you what's uh going on behind the beyond the page, which I think we're getting to. We're getting uh, there. We're getting there, but I feel like this is where I could theorize a little bit. Um for one, as you I said, you the had opening highest seventy in Kansas City, so Let's first of go. all, let me just say go ahead and get fucked, Bob. <laughs> It was a beautiful day in Kansas City. Uh, did you uh, ride your bike like a jerk? I, I rode my bike. I had some beers outside. Uh-huh. I had ice cream. On your porch? Today, did you have a beer on your porch? I had a beer at a bar patio. Oh, God. It's even worse. This podcast. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, I tried to get a three. Thursday. <laughs> And now it was 70 today. High of 70. It was great. Love I tried it. to get a three-year-old to leave his working-from-home mother alone so she could go to a meeting today. That's what I did today. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, stick with me for a second. <laughs> I guess. That's the format of the show. So the, the opening just felt really right. Of winter had moved off. It was writing its journals in ice. Um, and I'm happy that I'm not afraid to move right now. But like you said, the the being stuck at home thing, wallpapered with the cries of birds I cannot identify, that, that still resonates uh, after a lot, lot, lot of time at home, um, thanks to super cool pandemic that yeah. we've been living through. But that, that was a good starting point. For me, the kind of beyond the page thing, I think really does go back to this ending. Um, Excuse me. And I don't know, not fully like trope doesn't feel like the right word, but I do think there's some thematic tendency to, you know, return to younger version of yourself. You know, like that's, that's timeless, right? That's a common move. Yeah. 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 Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Everyone would want to do this. Poetry is forgetting about memory. Right. I mean, all my poems are about memory. Um, yeah. yeah. Shout out to anyone who thinks the poem's about them. It's about memory. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> you probably think this poem's about you. Um, I want to read this. 
Um, I want to turn back and go up to myself at age 20 and press $5 into his hand so he can sleep, um, which is, you know, troubling and stunning, you know, um, that his him at age 20 was apparently pretty, pretty freaking, you know, lost, you know, yeah, didn't yeah. have a place to sleep. While he stands trembling on a street in Fresno, suddenly one among many in the crowd that strolls down Fulton that strolls down Fulton Street among the stores that are closing and is never heard of again. And I'm so struck by that because that never heard of again to me really felt like uh I'm not gonna get if if I could go back to 20-year-old me. Give him five dollars to spend some time to to sleep tonight to find a place to sleep tonight. He would never be heard of again. And this state that I'm in at the beginning, which is not great, like I would never get there. Sure. Um, there's this you know like circularness that he's like canceling out of. Um, you know he's he's asking he's feeling heavy stuff. He's worried about the whole world being absent-minded or floating. The wind rises or stop, and it means nothing. Dude is feels uh, he uh, to me. This feels like listless and and you know not confident in anything. Um, yeah, years years after being twenty and going through this stuff, um, and he wants to go back in time and and change it, but not like make it. I don't know. It feels like make it better is underselling what he wants. You know, right? He wants, he wants his guy to dr- he wants his twenty year old self to drift further away into who knows where. I guess to me, there's something just really. I'm not at all saying it well, <laughs> mysterious and lovely, and and not expected. If that makes any sense. Yeah, I uh, I agree. Um, I agree. I've been thinking uh, this is a random personal thing that I don't mind sharing. <laughs> Recently restarted therapy, and I've been thinking a lot about how I was in college, both the good and the bad. Um, yeah, yeah. And, you know, I've been trying to, you know, uh, write more. And in college, I write, wrote all the time. But, you yeah, know, yeah. In, in college, I was like a reckless young person and, you know, did some things I regret and stuff. And, um, yeah, I think a lot about how if I could just go back and talk to my 20-year-old self. Like, not even my 13-year-old self, not even my Mm 8-year-old self, like, none of that. But, like, my 20-year-old self and just be like, hey, man, here are a few tips that might help you out, (laughs) you know? (laughs) Um, Yeah. Yeah. uh, And, uh, yeah, and but his is, like, I guess the the closest I ever came to this was when I studied abroad in the UK and I ran out of cash and was like, I got to find a hostel that I can stay in for... 20 for five dollars i guess um but um but yeah then the the twist at the end to uh to suddenly be one amongst a crowd and then never be heard of again Mm -hmm. is um i get the the sort of sam jackson at the end of pulp fiction idea of wanting to just walk the earth but like I've always wondered what comes after that what do you do after that you because you've got to find something you got to you gotta, you gotta go somewhere. You gotta do something, or else, I don't know. You just—it's a dark place. It's 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 a dark place for the poem to end up. Um, right, right. Yeah, I think I think so often um, that instinct of oh, if I could go back, I mean, just like you said, if I go back and talk to my younger self, I would help him. You know, I in a here's the ways I would make younger self end up in a better place. And this doesn't feel like that. It definitely feels like not where he is at the beginning. He doesn't want him to end up there because he doesn't right. want to be there himself anymore. Um, but yeah, it is this. Yeah, like you said, there's it's something really mysterious and and not necessarily like optimistic that he lands on. And no, love it. I'm no. on board. I'm so on board. Yeah, and I, I think of uh, some an, a couple more capstone, capstone, a couple more uh, touchstone versions of that is. Um, do you ever read or see the postman always rings always rings twice? We were in class when we read that together and read the. Oh, that's right. Watched the movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, that's right. I forgot. I forgot you were in that class. Um, but yeah, he just gets like dumped off that truck and like yeah, you know, and it's just like all right, I guess I'll get this job at a restaurant. Like 
that's the <laughs> best outcome of like going out west and just like letting life happen to you. Um, you ha- you at least get an, uh, a job at a restaurant, even if you end up killing the owner of the restaurant, and stealing his wife, and going to jail. But you know, um, what what else was I gonna think of? Uh, I lost it. But yeah, like the. They're just getting dropped off in the middle of the street and 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 wandering around thing is uh it's very romantic, but it's always when you think about the after oh I guess the graduate um mm. you know maybe does that a little bit um sure but yeah just like it's it's a scary thing to actually consider you know um, mm-hmm. and like what happens after it and I think uh this poem explores it in a pretty unsettling way so yeah good uh good call there <laughs> picking, picking right, that out sh- highlighting that show me show me another poem all right i've said uh, i've said my piece <laughs> all right so i guess it's my turn to read a poem your turn give me a my poem turn. let's do a poem this is uh if my parents are listening i'm sorry for the language but <laughs> oh, way is, past that. You should have apologized a while ago. I mean, yeah, I'm just constantly apologizing to him. Uh, <laughs> my brother's worse, uh, even though he's the better person. He's, he's worse with the language. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> this is uh, Motherfucker, I'm Ill by Beza Ozer, um, who I hope I'm pronouncing their last name right. Um, full disclosure. Beza and I used to be co-workers, and we never used last names. And the reason Beza... I didn't know this! Yeah, yeah, we used to be co-workers. I'll get into it a little bit later, but uh, we never right. used last names, so I've been agonizing all day. I've been looking it up on the internet, and I've been trying to pronounce their last name correctly all day, and I'm just... I'm, I'm such an anxious person that I don't know if I'm doing it correctly, but... Motherfucker, I'm Ill by Beza Ozer. Motherfucker, I'm ill. Sorry I called you a motherfucker. I think it just adds a certain confidence level that I sadly do not possess. Maybe it doesn't. I don't know. Three days ago, I watched our dog dig up your ashes, so I'm not sure of anything lately. But I just wanted to let you know that I'm the number one dad. I'll take care of our two little motherfuckers and our motherfucking dog and the dog you picked out, and the two little motherfuckers you gave birth to after I refused. My body is not a wonderland. I guess it was dumb of me to bury you in the backyard. I just wanted you closer to the little motherfuckers and me. You died from an illness I can't name, because I can't get the words out. I guess the title of this should have been Motherfucker, You're Ill. It's a poem. It's a poem. You know, when I read this this afternoon, you sent it to me. Whoo-wee. I was not prepared. I probably should have trigger warning. Warning. No. Warning to you. <laughs> uh, all right. Tell me. Uh, give me that context. Give me that good, good context. Why yeah. this poem? There's a like story, I, I think. Yeah. Like I just said, Baze and I were coworkers for um, about... Uh, I don't know, four or five months at a uh, used bookstore in Evanston and bottle cap press, the press that published this chat book just recently had a big sale and bottle cap has been on my radar because I reviewed MJ Santiago's book swallow for the um, magazine you used to run until recently vagabond city. Mm -hmm. And so I just I saw the sale on Twitter and was like, oh, I'm going to check it out. And I was like, oh, Andrew Santiago's book is on there. I want a physical copy of uh, a book I reviewed just just for sentimentality's sake. And then saw Beza's name and was like, we never used last names at the bookstore, but I think this is them. And I looked them up and was like, I think this is them. Uh, Beza also, after... Basically, does a number of things, but I ran into them uh, a little bit after 
I guess a long time after leaving that bookstore because I'd already done, you know, a two-year bid at another job and then had a child. But I ran into them at um, one of my favorite Chicago bookstores, uh, Women and Children First in Andersonville. Mm -hmm. Yep. Uh, They were working there for a while. And, um, you know, just a good, decent person. And I didn't realize in all of our conversations together that they were a full-blown ass poet. They got a profile <laughs> on the Poetry Foundation page, like they, mm-hmm. and so I just like kind of found that out and was like, "Holy shit!" <laughs> uh, um, you know, it's not like we kept in touch. We never exchanged phone numbers or anything like that. But um, they are just a just a just a good person. And I was like, "I'm I'm gonna check this book out." So for the topic today, the you know poet you've been meaning to read been meaning to read i guess i haven't been meaning to read beza but i've been excited to discover that beza is a poet and turns out a pretty good one um and this one i i've read through most of the chapbooks so far um but this one was the first one i read and it just hit me right in the gut and i was mm-hmm. like well mm-hmm. this is the one i'm picking today so uh, oh, not yeah. to talk about health too much on this podcast like i've been doing oh. but, um but uh um but yeah this this one just punched me right in the gut there's so many cool things in this poem there's like some hybrid fiction poetry there's some short jokey poems there are some lengthier emotional poems it's it's a cool chapbook that like jumps around but uh but yeah this one just like man scratched the old brain couldn't couldn't get it out of my head so hell yeah that rules what an incredible like stumble upon moment yeah i want to give a quick shout out to bottle bottle cap press uh craig mullins runs it um i don't know craig uh i he has a relationship with astrovia folks so kind of oh so you're adjacent but you don't know him sure yeah yeah um i think he helped like physical printing of the chat books in astrovia Mm -hmm. um and the packaging I got been, for this was beautiful, by the way. They put nice, a little like nice. stamp. Uh, let me see if <laughs> my kid hasn't thrown away the envelope yet. <laughs> they put a little stamp on the envelope, right? With their logo. All these books look wonderful for chat books. Nice. Um, Hell yeah! Yeah, they all look great. They're all like simply bound, which I love for a chat book. Yeah. Right. The physical physical printing and 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 um, uh, pressing and um, shipping is is top notch. That rules. Yeah. Um. So they've been publishing since 2014. It says here on the website, and, and I know they've been doing it for a long time. But uh, they they're doing this thing. It says since April 2021, they're calling it Bottle Cap Features, and it just has blown me away. Like I said it's always felt like they were pretty prolific. Um, and I don't think they charge submission fees and like all sorts of names, some that I know, some that I don't know, some that I've like surprised. I'm like, Oh, they've gone and do more, but this, it's this thing that seems like almost too, like <laughs> too big of a plan, too generous of a plan that, that is exciting and cool to me. Their goal is to publish a chat book every week. Oh yeah. <laughs> that is, is the, Yeah. That is yeah. nuts to me. Yeah. Right. And like I thought about where... submitting there, and I'm just like, "All right, that's I've got I've got their submission page bookmarked." Yeah, yeah. thing, yeah. Um, but yeah, that seems nuts to me. But like, good on right. them if they can do it. You know? Yeah, exactly. It's like one of those things. Like, like that's almost too good to be true. But so, like, why not? Uh, I mean, it feels like the exact opposite of the abundance of Tom Clancy is this abundance of chat books. Yeah, like yeah, you do like like, a thirty book run kind of thing, and yeah, like we should publish way too many of these. We should do that. Yeah, (laughs) especially since a chapbook is often a stepping stone to a first manuscript. Right, it's like if you got the energy and the wherewithal to publish like a twenty pay twenty edition, thirty edition, you know, run of books or whatever, like just do it. You know, if you if you got the wherewithal, yeah. All right, now, now we're, we're done gushing. We've done the gushing. We've I need you to gushing. take me into this poem. I want you to tell me what the move is. I'm ready. All right, I'm going to repeat myself for the umpteenth time on this podcast. It is the repetition and the turn of the word mm-hmm. motherfucker and the way that it <laughs> shifts. 
Okay. Okay. You know, we love on this podcast, we love a good turn of a meaning of a word and a repetition Mm -hmm. of it in a poem. Um, Right. Because it starts out. I mean, look, let's not beat around the bush. Like, you can't start a poem with motherfucker, I'm ill without thinking of hip hop and like battle rap and stuff, you know? And it goes into like death and grieving, but also like that false confidence they talk about in the, Mm -hmm. um, in the, in the first couple lines, like I'm saying this because I don't know how to process grief. I'm saying this because I don't know how to go on without you. And I'm saying this because I'm trying to project confidence onto the rest Mm -hmm. of my life. And then it ends with the, you know, the beautiful little, uh, twist, like I should have said, motherfucker, you're ill, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, I just think the way it shifts, I hope it came across in my reading and I hope that's a, that's a reading, uh, Beza would respect, but, uh, you know, it, it is a, um, it just, it shifts so deliberately and, um, but also right. gradually with purpose that, you know, uh, you know, sometimes you just gotta get your feelings out by cursing and like, <laughs> and and the different. I'm pretty sure every use of motherfucker in this poem has a different meaning. You know, right, um, right. So yeah, that's that's the move. It really it does the poetry thing of taking a word and really making it, really making it something else. Um, yeah, yeah morphing it and mutating me. it and seeing what happens with it for sure. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, I mean, you do, I think what I, I agree, I, you know, I think I hope you did justice to it. Um, but I think what you, one of the things you did do effectively just to me, which is there in the poem is, you know, that the title being all caps and that just like immediate sudden, not taking it back, but, um, you know, changing tone, um, apologizing after the all caps motherfucker, I'm ill. Um, yeah, it's, the title's all caps and the rest of the poem, except for the word I is lowercase. Right. Even after right. periods. <laughs> um, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I mean, what a, it's such a quick and immediate thing of, uh, putting all that confident energy there and then taking it all back. Again, maybe not taking it all back, but I mean, reserving it, um, changing the tone, shifting. I I agree. Incredibly, incredibly effective here. Yeah. And and the image right away of like, because like, this is a different move, but right away, the the person who is dead in this poem, (laughs) the dog dug up the ashes in the backyard, which what a way to convey that the Mm -hmm. addressee of the poem is dead, you know. Like the right. dog dug up the ashes, um, mm-hmm. and that's how we. Because uh, that first stanza, it's sorry I called you motherfucker. I just think it adds a certain confidence level that I sadly do not possess. Maybe it doesn't. I don't know. And so, okay, <laughs> you know, unconfident person. That's fine. I've seen that before. Cool. Three days ago, I watched your dog dig up. Watched our dog dig up your ashes. So it's like, whoa. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. The word hour. <laughs> The dog digging up ashes, like this is a person close, like that's like a that's right. a stanza break, you know, and mm-hmm. like, mm-hmm. yeah, um, yeah, it's a good shift, uh, and then absolutely, and the two little motherfuckers, like, I don't know if those are kids, I don't know if there's a, other pets like hamsters or something, mm-hmm. you know, right? Um, I said, well, actually, I guess I assume they're kids because, uh. Uh, you gave birth after I refused. Um, right. I've certainly been afraid before of horrible things happening during someone close to me giving birth. Uh, yeah. Longest half hour of my life. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's it just like kind of like, yeah, and I, I don't know. Uh, it's that, good stuff. That whole stanza. <laughs> uh, that whole stanza does, I think, I think one withholding telling you all of it, I think is really effective here Mm -hmm. Um, to, you know, I think on one level it is just like to keep some of this private possibly, um, but also to, I mean, it lends itself to just like how heavy and how serious this is. Yeah. 
but within that that stanza i think is is playing a little bit more with the the intensity of the poem the seriousness of the subject matter um and the fact that we're going to say motherfuckers a lot right. um, you know um the ending that stanza with my body is not a wonderland you know is is both funny and and devastating you know like yeah. it's such an effective line um and a play on you know good lord the silliest of songs um, right the the silliest and corniest of songs um, right. <laughs> and yeah but then like implying that you were the one who had to carry these children and i i yeah. couldn't do it and like a little bit right. of guilt about that which yep. um uh you know i basically identifies as they them but i think that plays across gender lines like mm-hmm. you know i thought the whole time mal was pregnant like man if there was something i could do to help you I would do it, right. you know, and she loved right. being pregnant and stuff, but like it was a, um, a tough birth experience. And it was just like, you know, uh, I think that cuts across gender lines of just like feeling like there's something happening to my partner, my beloved's body that I can't, I can't help with, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and, uh, to, to just undercut it with a fucking, the corniest John Mayer line is, is such a great move. <laughs> oh my goodness! Yeah, there's a lot working in these. Uh, in this short... Absolutely short, short poem doing so much, and and yeah, yeah just uh, subverting your expectations so much with the title, with the with the use of mother, with the repetition of motherfucker. Yeah. Um, whew, makes me feel a lot. Goodness gracious. Hey, that's what uh, my job is on this podcast, apparently, is making you wanna, feel things. Just want to make me feel things. Uh, Goal every week is to make Bob cry. <laughs> that's not hard. Come on. I mean, <laughs> I'm going to go watch, like, I don't know, now play Animal Crossing and cry about that somehow. Like, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, before you go there, you're supposed to tell me a little bit beyond the page. I mean, we've talked about it a little bit. Um, but is there anything else you want to say? Uh, how this poem, you know, kind of lives, sticks with you beyond the language. Yeah, um, I guess, you know, it it, it is like uh, all the friend stuff we talked about earlier. I feel like when we get to this right. segment uh, from my question, we always are just rehashing what we talked about earlier in the episode. But, um, yeah, supporting your friends and, like, reading their work is a good thing to do. Being surprised <laughs> by... Uh, um, by an old friend, you know, turning out to be a really good writer that you didn't know about is, is, yeah. is, is a cool experience. And then, yeah, just a poem that punched me in the gut because it's about, you know, family stuff and um, grief and things I'm afraid of and uses my favorite swear words. So, you know, like, I mean, there's, you know, there's a lot going on there. There's, there's just, it's just a, it's just a good Chris Corlew poem. <laughs> so. I think that's fair. It's it's just hitting all the marks. Just checking them off. All the benchmarks, yeah. <laughs> um so oh, yeah, I um, uh yeah, I beyond tagging Beza in a Twitter post saying I was ordering the book with the bottle cap sale, we haven't reconnected or anything and you know, it doesn't matter if we do or not. You know, they have their own life and I have mine. Um but it it's a cool experience seeing one of your friends be like, Oh, turns out you're a really good poet. I'm glad to read your book. You know, <laughs> for so. sure. Absolutely. Yeah. What a treat. What a yeah. delight. It's a delight. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Uh, oh my. All right. We're spiraling. We are. Um, also it's, it's late for us. Yeah. Nice, it's late you for know? Us. Yeah. We're going to yeah. do some editing. Yeah. <laughs> or I'm going to do some <laughs> editing. <laughs> but, <laughs> Or just run long. Who cares? All right. So quick and be a question. Oh, I had one prepared and I didn't write it down. Lord. Uh, Ooh. Okay. I'm going to do a quick one. It's going to be okay. a, uh, this is going to be a, a quick either or. So, um, all-star weekend just happened. Yes. Did you watch the all-star game? I watched some of it. I fell asleep. Okay, yeah, I mean that's fair. It's you know it's we're old and you know it's the All Star right. game. Um, yeah. So LeBron, uh, as the captain of his team, correct, picked Steph Curry to be on his team. 
Yep. Which an objectively good move, but they are career rivals. They are they have at times seemed like they actively hate each other and at mm-hmm. times seem like they respect each other and stuff like that. Right. So in the lamest sense of the word poetic, what <laughs> is more poetic? Steph Curry hitting uh scoring fifty points in an all-star game on team LeBron. Mm-hmm. Or LeBron James hitting the uh, the game winner on the uh, the Elam ending format that the that the uh, that the All Star game has now uh, in Cleveland. I mean, the cooler thing is Steph hitting fifty points. Who's got a fifty sure. piece in the All Star game? I've never. I don't think everyone's ever, anyone's ever done it. Anthony Davis scored fifty two. Oh, he did. Okay, was yeah, that last year? So. It was recently. It was boring. Recently, yeah. okay. It was. It was. Oh, no, actually. So I think I just heard this. It was the year before they decided the Elam ending thing. Okay. And so probably like peak of like, wow, this is really uncompetitive and dumb. Like, what oh, are we so doing? it's like yeah, a lot of alleys and stuff. You know, right. Yeah. 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 I don't really think the Steph context matters that much I, I mean like they were booing him all night which was wonderful like I, i'm on board with which the, the city of cleveland should do for steph for sure for like, sure i love steph but if you're gonna if the city of cleveland's gonna boo anybody it's gotta be right. michael jordan and then steph like that's the list <laughs> <laughs> right but uh i was you know you know lebron hitting a fadeaway to keep his uh Five and zero as team captain record going. Uh, it rules it's that he's undefeated as team captain. It's so cool. It's so awesome. It's so cool, especially because he um, sucks as a general manager. Otherwise, <laughs> turns out. Uh, well, I mean, you know, he wants to just choose the best players, um, right. and this gives him a chance to actually do that. Whereas on a regular team, he gets to choose maybe one best player to play with. Right, one time he got right. two. Or maybe right. another star, you know, yeah. But when he's choosing these guys on the margins, he's so bad at it. He's so, um, yeah, just so bad at it. How, how good would the Lakers be right now if they had Buddy Heald instead of Russell Westbrook? <laughs> <laughs> Buddy well, Heald would be Curry putting up like 25 a, a night. Like. Right. God. I, um, I, I, I thought you were going to go a little bit different direction, though, in that you brought up, you know, the rivalry thing. Um, I think actually what I like most as I'm like spent some time today looking at all star, what happened kind of stuff, checking in. Cause I like, I miss Saturday night, I miss Friday night. Was it, it felt like they were just like really good vibes for the 75th anniversary thing. Yeah. Um, yeah it felt just, really positive all around. Yeah. This is great footage of, of Jordan, uh, you know, challenging Magic Johnson to one-on-one, and of course, we just assume he's serious because that's how Michael Jordan right. works. Oh, I 100% believe Michael Jordan was like, I've got my North Carolina shorts on <laughs> under this suit. Um, there was this other footage of, of Jordan, uh, like, going in for this weird, kind of uncomfortable surprise hug uh, on Luca. Um, and oh, I didn't Carl see him hug Luca. He, he hugs Luca and I don't know, whispers something to him. Not whisper. They were talking, but you know. Yeah. Uh, and then Carl Anthony Towns comes over to like also join the conversation, and and Jordan did play along, but he seemed way less interested in talking to Carl. Oh Anthony no, Towns. poor cat. Um, uh. I guess Draymond was kind of pissy about them comparing him to Rudy Gobert, um, but otherwise Which it felt just be, like a but you know yeah. yeah. It felt like a lot of good vibes. Uh, I yeah. think maybe I'm mostly just associating it with Jordan is that I, I don't expect him to be so kind of fun loving at something like that. And he seemed in a really good mood. Yeah. Um, when Michael's in a good mood, like, I mean, this is, well, I don't want to speculate about anything, but when Michael's in a good mood, you know, it's, it's a good time for everybody. Um, so, the, but, you know, maybe he just had a, uh, I had a particularly good bottle of Hennessy that night, you know. <laughs> I heard that he actually, uh, he they weren't sure if he was going to be there or not, or on time or something, because he was golfing mm-hmm. in Daytona Beach earlier that day. He's uh, golfing in Daytona. So... <laughs> <laughs> and he made it to Cleveland. Oh, that's the most Michael Jordan story ever. That's incredible. Right? <laughs> that's incredible. You know, he played 36 oh. holes before dropping 42 on, like, Alonzo Morning one time. <laughs> like... <laughs> Drinking and smoking uh, the whole time. Just, oh, man, what a guy. So so truly the most poetic thing 
is you asked me about NBA All-Star Weekend, I just find a way to talk about Michael Jordan some more. There you go. You know what? I can't disagree. I can't disagree. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Um, I would also like to shout out just uh, how much Larry Bird looks like a bird. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just blown away by it every time. I feel like he's always looked like a bird, but as he gets older, he looks more and more like a bird. And I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. And then was there another Legends moment I had? No, just love Larry Bird looking <laughs> like a bird. Love Michael Jordan being cool. Anytime Michael Jordan's in a good mood, puts me in a good mood. So, <laughs> yes. Wow. Solid all star. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> we, I, I have heard re- reportedly, repeatedly, that it was the worst dunk contest possibly of all time, and you just said solid all-star weekend. It was a pretty bad dunk contest. It was not the worst <laughs> of all time. It was 100% okay. not the worst of all time, but it was it was bad. Um, the point <laughs> shootout was good, though. Love seeing Cat get the, get the win. Um, Carl Anthony Towns has had, like, six family members die due to COVID, and right. he got COVID himself. Dude deserves a win. Good on him. Skills challenge was weird. I didn't. I didn't understand it at all. Um, <laughs> but I recently started Animal Crossing, so I was barely paying attention to the skills challenge. Um, wow. But yeah, dunk contest a... not great. But Juan Toscano Anderson, shout out to him. Love Juan Toscano Anderson. Speaking of not great, we're gonna get better at this <laughs> as we get back into our routine. <laughs> we are absolutely not. That is, that is not a guarantee. Bob has no right to say that. And with that, we'll sign off. <laughs> we always uh, get better once we get back on the horse. That's true. We do. That's true. That's yeah. true. But, all right. Get us out of here. All right. Uh, our music producer is Brendan Johnson. Our, art, our artist is A.M. Strickland. And we will be back next week. <laughs>